0: Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of our next episode titled Data and Medical Plan Fiduciaries to receive a code for SHERM credit. Now, enjoy the episode.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to another episode of the Benefits Breakdown. I'm Vanessa Longnecker here with...
0: Hey, it's Jared Boca with you. Hey, everybody, Adam Compton. Excited to connect with uh, Nick Carls and the compliance team. I know, Nick, we don't have the usual kickoff like you do on coffee and compliance talking about our coffee, but I feel like you're here. We should do a deep dive into my dark roast that I'm enjoying right now. But That's copywritten. (laughs) (laughs) Nick won't share
2: any of that with us at all. Oh, absolutely not.
1: Well, Nick, thanks for joining us today. For those of you on the line that may be new to Nick, Nick is our Vice President of Regulatory Affairs and Legislative Strategy here at Brown & Brown, eager to participate and have you on the line today as we talk about all things latest and greatest, compliance and regulations. I know you have a fun way of making really dry topics super energizing, Mr. Nick.
3: Usually the fun way is uh, cuss words, uh, (laughs) lewd stories, things like that. Uh, (laughs) Since this has been recorded and it's not a seminar, I think I'll keep it somewhat clean.
1: Like (laughs) it, like it. Well, certainly there are a lot of hot topics that you're faced with, and no day is the same in your world or any of our worlds these days, but thought we'd kickstart things a little bit here today and talk about the current status of wellness plans and wellness plan incentives. I mean, frankly, I think it's a taking a whole new look, shape, feel, but it's built on the same frameworks when we're talking about all things post-COVID and immunization status or the likes. What are you hearing, yeah. seeing?
3: Well, what's kind of crazy about this one is even before the pandemic, uh, wellness plans were on kind of shaky ground, right? Uh, we had the ADA uh, rules from the EEOC that were being challenged by the AARP. How's that for? <laughs>
1: <laughs> State I, of hope <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> I hope everyone caught that. But the, the the final wellness rules under the ADA were being challenged. And so we were kind of in limbo with those already. Uh, and then along comes the pandemic, and employers started looking at incentives as far as uh, vaccines. Now, um, but earlier on in the pandemic, there were there were some other programs that employers were looking at, and with all that being out of the mix, you know, employers are saying, "Hey, what am I able to do here?" And what's hard about that is we still kind of go, uh, "We're not sure," and that's a hard answer for a lot of folks, right? The we're not sure. Uh, I will say the EEOC made it a little bit more. Uh, a little simpler for us, and when they came out with a guidance saying that asking about someone's vaccination status hmm. is not a disability-related inquiry, meaning the ADA is not implicated. Here's my caveat on this one:
2: There's always a caveat.
3: There's always a caveat. We're like, okay, that makes it simpler, but that is not really in keeping in past guidance, right? I mean, how is it that someone's vaccination status, whether or not they got a needle put into their arm, uh, is not a disability-related uh, inquiry? Because if someone didn't, and it's because They have a disability. It's likely to elicit information about a disability. So that's one of those ones where we look and you go, okay, an employer should feel pretty good about it. But just know that even that could be challenged in the courts. Everything's challenged in the courts these days, right? Uh, But that being said, for the employers out there, I mean, it, it did make it a little bit simpler. And I would say that, you know, if you're if you're looking at implementing some sort of vaccination program, whether it's for flu shots right? Or uh, for the uh, COVID vaccine, anything like that. Uh, you're really just treating it like your, your usual wellness program uh, because it does involve someone's health status, whether or not they've been vaccinated, uh, and whether or not they could or could, cannot get vaccinated. Uh, you know, It's a probably a health contingent program under HIPAA. I guess the ADA doesn't apply. We'll see if that uh, holds up. <laughs> uh, and so from there, you're just looking at your usual uh, limits as far as the rewards are concerned, reasonable alternatives and all of that good stuff.
0: What about rewards and penalties? Like you're seeing it shift even through that legislation of AARP one. I mean, how, help frame employers approach to that now. Do they have to separate that language so we can't penalize? We have to incentivize? Or what's the best practice there? Funny story in my in my world. Anyway, wait, wait, funny story with compliance.
2: <laughs> Fun, All right. Funny to, I was going to gonna gonna say funny together. to who? Avaka, <laughs>
3: vaca vodka. vodka, vodka. Uh. <laughs> What is the difference, when all said and done, between a penalty and a reward? Uh, in the eyes of the government, really, there is no difference. Because they're, you're either saying, yeah, if you are doing this, you get this money. And if you don't, you don't get this money. Now, for some of the listeners, like, well, yeah, but if I have my current premium structure and I'm just going to give someone a little extra off, right, that, that, that strikes us more as a reward. Not a surcharge, whereas you know the Delta thing, where it's like we're going to make you pay two hundred dollars more surcharge, right? It's a penalty. It's uh, smacking someone over the head with a stick. But when we look at the rules, whether it's uh, the incentive limits, uh, if we're looking at reasonable uh, reasonable alternatives, things like that, there's really no difference. Whether it's a penalty or uh, an incentive, one way or another, it's kind of um, doing the same thing and has to comply with the exact same laws, including affordability, right? If you're subject to the employer mandate, which for a lot of our listeners out there, they, they probably are. Uh, you have to keep in mind that you can't go over 30% of the total cost of self-only coverage.
2: So Nick, outside of incentives or I guess penalties, what are other things that you're seeing come up with wellness? What are, what are employers walking on shaky ground that they need to avoid or that they should try to steer away from Well, I can when give it comes one, to
3: wellness programs? Sure. I, I can give one good example. There've been a number... Of employers out there where they want to implement some sort of program where if someone isn't vaccinated, the p- health plan will not cover any costs related to COVID. I think I see you guys nodding your heads. Uh, for the listeners, you don't know this, but we're all in video, so we can see each other. <laughs> because I can guarantee that uh, Adam, uh, Vanessa, Jared—they've all received some variation of that question. Hey, can we say we're not going to cover your costs if you come down with COVID? Could you maybe? maybe design a wellness program to accomplish that? Sure. But remember, we still have that 30% cap uh, of the total cost. And so this is still going to be a penalty, right? And if someone has $40,000 COVID related medical costs, you you can be guaranteed that it's going to go far beyond that 30% of the total cost of the premium. And and so there, boom, we, we would say you can't do it. I think there are also some serious practical concerns right? Uh, being able to tie right. whether or not they're vaccinated. You'd be asking some prying questions Their HIPAA concerns, all sorts of stuff.
1: Well, and on top of it, we've just seen such a rise in breakthrough cases. So regardless of vaccination status, you could potentially have ongoing case needs that don't necessarily make that investment or message, right, is meaningful potentially for some employers. Again, you know, the lens they look through.
3: That, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. And do you really want to be putting uh, yourself like your hr staff in the position of having to reach out to people and say no did you get vaccinated i don't see it coming through our health plan because i mean you're in minnesota right we don't i went and got uh vaccinated and they didn't ask for my health plan information my employer i didn't even really ask for my personal information it you know on my vaccine card has my full legal name that's about it and so how is the health plan ever going to tie it to my vaccination status are you gonna make sure that i'm not lying about it it's a messy deal
1: messy deal indeed you know certainly we've seen the delta airlines news splash in in recent weeks and, and we've many more inquiries and, and folks on the horizon at regional levels you no know, i do think you know jared you mentioned even an employer looking at it from the incentive perspective right if 60% or more of their population proves vaccination status they get an incentive payout. It's a cash payout. It's taxable, but it's another lens to look through versus, right? Because while be it, the rules may look at them relatively the same when it comes to compliance with well-being programs. The message is very, very different, right? When you talk about the employee perception of one of those strategies. And I think that is the piece we hear the most struggle with, right? To find the right balance.
3: Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that one that Jared was talking about, where yeah, if we get up to 60% of our employees that got vaccinated, we'll give everyone cash. That, that one's a little bit easier, right? Um, you could get the reward even if you didn't get vaccinated. Uh, you're freely providing that information. It's not tied to the health plan. I can kind of go through this list of things. Where I'm like, actually, this is probably easier to accomplish. Uh, and let's say there maybe is a, a slight compliance snafu in there somewhere. If we look at the government's intent right now, right? We look at that EEOC guidance on the uh, ADA and vaccine-related inquiries. I don't think this is a high priority right now for the government to smack an employer over the head. I think they would applaud it, probably tell their employers to do the exact same thing. They want everyone to get vaccinated. And so when we're talking about the kind of spectrum of worry from a compliance perspective. That's pretty low down there.
1: Yeah. Agree with it don't, you know, disagree with it wherever you land certainly we're having a lot of dialogue when it comes to the latest and greatest of well-being programs under this vaccination discussion. But the framework obviously is consistent and the latest guidance allows for some flexibility, right? Yeah. And what yeah. we know today, we anticipate many of these things will be challenged potentially in a court of law. So just to be prepared <laughs> wherever you take that stance, right? Is is clearly a piece of the message. Now, Beyond that, another huge trend that we're seeing, right, is around mental health, right? Again, yes. COVID has accelerated pre-COVID dynamics. We had significant uptick in needs and and absolutely we're seeing all-time high in needs, access points that are more difficult than others. We do have to be mindful, right, of, of requirements specific to program design and capabilities. What are you hearing seeing there?
3: Uh, what's been difficult about this one is, to your point, Vanessa, a lot of employers right now are looking at expanding their mental health benefits. They're going out of their way to try to find ways to provide mental health benefits to their employees, make it easier for them to access it, both uh, employees and plan participants and to nerd out. I, I
1: Nerd out. <laughs> <laughs> your,
3: your listener profile might be a little different than our listener profile. Uh, people that tune in for coffee and compliance to hear us spill the beans. Oh, shameless nice. bug right there. Wow. Nice, nice.
2: <laughs> By the way, I was going to say it. I never heard an attorney nerd out before. That's yeah. kind of, <laughs> never every heard. seminar,
3: every seminar I ever do. Uh, so, they, you know, they, they want to improve it. They're trying to do all these things to make it better. And what they don't realize is that while they're doing that, there are still these underlying uh, requirements that we have in the law. And some of them are relatively new, the non-quantitative treatment limitation analysis that we have to do, things that most employers don't even have access to. And we're trying to kind of a death match right now with a lot of TPAs, try to get them to come <laughs> around to provide us the information that we need. But, you know, it seems like it would be such a common sense thing. Of, oh, yeah, we're going to try to open this up to as many employees, as many plan participants as possible. What could possibly go wrong? And it turns out, well, because as you're opening that up, uh, that's a narrow network. <laughs> And the rest of your benefits are not narrow network that might actually violate mental health parity, right? And it's just like, what? That makes no sense. Oh, and I remember what I was going to nerd out about really quick. When we're looking at providing these benefits to all of our employees, not the ones on our medical plan, we have to look at the level of those benefits. This is coming up a lot lately where we're implementing these different programs where employees can have 10 visits with a, a doctor, a a clinical psychologist, whatever, to talk about mental health issues, substance abuse, whatever, and a lot of them you can also uh, get prescriptions. That right there is probably a group health plan. If you have an employee on that and they're part of a group health plan, but they're not on your major medical, you may have issues under the Affordable Care Act, ERISA, a few other things, because you basically have this free-floating health plan that's not going to comply with you know the preventive health uh, requirements. Uh, the essential health benefit requirements under the ACA, just weird stuff like that. And oftentimes employers aren't filing 5,500s on these, you know, and so again, we have employers trying to do as many nice things, awesome things for their employees as they can, but there are always these underlying compliance concerns that we have to think about. And I know I'm talking a lot and I'm watching you guys and you guys are doing a great job being patient with me (laughs) (laughs) again, though I am starting to wonder what is the focus of the government when it comes to this kind of stuff. We know that we have, let's call it a second epidemic with mental health. Is it going to be a high priority for them to come and try to, uh, you know, smack an employer over the head, to use that phrase again, for trying to expand mental health benefits to all of their employees, you know, and they're doing it in a way that perhaps it doesn't fully comply with the ACA. Is that going to be a high priority for them at this time?
2: Nick, I was just about to say, you're earning that nickname of the assassin of fun trying Uh, to take away, hey, we can't expand these, but no, you gave that caveat (laughs) at the end of, of, Is the government really going to be focused on that? Because you're right, employers are out there trying to find ways to expand these benefits to people. You're right, we will hopefully see the government be a little more lenient or maybe change some regulations around some of these benefits to be able to expand them to offer that. Have you heard any rumblings of of any legislative changes or anything like that when it comes to mental health benefits at all?
3: You know, there's always talk about opening it up or having some sort of telemedicine mental health exception. Uh, I haven't seen anything formal. And what's hard about it is that doesn't really come to the forefront until the government actually does take action on someone that's doing that. And it makes the news. All of us in the industry go, what the heck? You know, That's such a crazy thing for you to do. And then a lot of the people that don't work in our industry are flabbergasted by it, right? I mean, think about the number of things that we deal with on a daily basis. That to us has been totally normalized. (laughs) But if you're talking to your (laughs) average person that doesn't work in our industry, they would be like, this is absolutely nuts. Wait, the government's going to penalize someone for... Providing mental health benefits to their employees during the, you know, these crazy times, or you know, even going forward, like it doesn't make any sense. And so, if we saw that happen, suddenly uh, the the IRS or the DOL comes out and says, "You know what? We're we're not liking the looks of this. We're gonna do something about it." Can't you just see that article on, like, CMSB yeah, or something that'll like that? will go over well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go over real well. I mean, the reality is some employers are looking at doing wrap networks or doing, you know, independent solutions to extend new access points. Others are going straight back to plan design, removing barriers altogether. Sure. You know, $0 copays, uh, unlimited capabilities. Now, certainly, HSA or high deductible health plan environments don't el- enable that. Do we see right. shifts in the future? Do we not? obviously is the golden question, but, uh, in a traditional PPO or HMO environment, there's a different flexibility to remove some of those barriers.
3: And I'll, t- I'll ask you guys, the experts, uh, when it comes to this stuff, and this is the kind of stuff where Ben and I always, you know, on our coffee and compliance podcast, I always, <laughs> that's the second plug. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we always sit there and try to figure out, um, what would the actual cost be? Right. I mean, how expensive is it to do $0 copays on mental health? Uh, you know, it, when you have that kind of increased utilization
0: with mental health, how big of an impact would that actually have on the health plan? You know, it turns out to be very little, typically, overall, and it's so personal yeah. that it's one of those things that reaches these teammates or employees, and I think employers want to spend that money because it meets people where they are on their own journey. In a In a, in a functionally broken system, is mental health just by its by its market is, is hard to get access to. So yes. I think employers right. are doing what they want to do.
1: Right. Certainly a, a sticky one.
0: Is
3: there any chance that someone, like let's say in a self-insured plan, is there a yeah. chance that someone's going to hit their stop loss with mental health benefits?
1: That'd be a pretty aggressive inpatient stay, right? But yeah. we have seen, we absolutely have seen significant okay. mental health claim activity. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, that's, that's going to happen with or without, you know, reduced co-pays, right? Those big dollars <laughs> are happening in a different environment is the reality. Yeah. So we have to remind and be mindful of the fact that, you know, there's there's certainly plan design opportunities that steer towards lower cost solutions sure. that potentially avoid those inpatient needs as well. So again, it's I think it's definitely one getting a lot of attention, and it is interesting from a compliance perspective that there are, there are some hiccups or hurdles right? From a regulatory and compliance regard that we have to be mindful of when we're having this dialogue.
2: I think it goes back to the same thing with other medical treatment, right? There's a reason why we want to have with a lot of the strategy that we talk about is getting access to inexpensive care can prevent, and you, you mentioned this Vanessa, but just to build on it, getting access to inexpensive care can prevent an inpatient hospital stay, right? It's no different with the mental health. If you are more preventative and you're playing defense on the front end, are you going to eliminate that huge claimant down the road if i get diabetes treatment sooner it's and, and i'm adherent to my treatment plan and, and take my medications i can prevent that inpatient hospital stay no difference on the mental health game if we right. can get access to care which is relatively inexpensive compared to inpatient hospital care you're going to eliminate that high dollar claimant and eliminate that stop-loss hit because you are getting that inexpensive treatment on the front end So. I don't see it being an issue. We we've looked at the numbers. I mean, Vanessa, you were one of the champions with our own employer to bring that that cost down. And I I applaud our our own employer here for for doing just that, for thinking through that, looking at that and and making that decision to make it zero dollar cost.
1: Certainly a message, right, that builds a culture, right? We're removing barriers so you can be the best you you can be is is super prudent right every area of business and and personal well-being so yeah i think that's a fun one and we're actually seeing some really cool dialogue here hopefully we do get some additional regulatory clarity that potentially removes some of these questions over time but i think employers hearts and heads are in the right place in in regards to this conversation. Another big one I was just going to say, you know, speaking of the current climate, we've got people in and out of work. We've got different fluctuating hours, whether it's based on personal health needs and or business needs or cycles, COVID lockdowns, regional factors associated with outbreaks, you name it. We've seen just a crazy influx of conversation around what does that future of work look like? I mean, some industries, they're not necessarily going to, they don't anticipate rebounding rebounding to the same capacity of full-time workforce that they've had in the past. They strategically know they have to extend new part-time benefits. They have to extend different type of work-life balance to meet the needs of the current climate. What, you know, we see a lot of things when it comes to plan eligibility and what are the snafus you're hearing and seeing associated with those fluctuating hours?
3: Yep. And I think that's a great way of putting it is that there's just so much change. And we are looking at industries that are now saying, going forward, we're probably moving to more of a part-time population. We're not going to be able to get full-time employees in here, uh, either because we can't find find them, we can't afford them, what have you.
1: Or they want a different balance, right? Exactly. It's, it's interesting.
3: Even in the, in the professional sphere, uh, where we traditionally haven't seen a lot of part-time employees, we're seeing, I'm having conversations with employers as they're trying to figure out their benefits. They're saying, we have these office employees that do not want to go back to the full, you know, a lot of these probably 50 hours or whatever. Uh, They want to work a reduced schedule. They understand it's, you know, going to be less compensation, but they've reassessed what they want in life. And this is the direction they want to go. No matter what an employer is doing, Whatever decision you make, make sure that you look at your plan documents, that it's clearly communicated in your plan documents, that you're talking to your insurance carrier or to your stop loss, that all parties that need to be on board are on board and that nothing is being missed. Uh, We have had a pretty significant uptick in conversations with employers where they made some changes and either they didn't update their documents, they weren't communicated clearly, uh, or they didn't get buy-in from stop loss. And there's now been an issue. Uh, someone says, hey, I should right. be eligible for benefits. We've actually had that quite a bit. It was something that I, we looked in the crystal ball about a year ago and said, ooh, <laughs> this is going to become an issue. And it has. Uh, yeah. We're finally seeing that uh, come to fruition. where People said, hey, I should have been eligible for benefits. And then we're seeing the flip side. We are seeing stop loss auditing some larger claims and carriers auditing some larger claims and going, wait a second. Whoa, yeah. 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 You You have this person yeah. on the plan. Um, Turns
1: out I don't want to pay for that. It's not funny, but it's real. Yeah, but
3: it's real. It's a $700,000 claim. I'm looking yeah. at it right now. And this person, hey, tell me, how many hours did they work over the last five months? Oh, they were working 15 hours per week? Well, our agreement with you is that we would cover employees that you expected to work 30 hours per week. You don't have a stability period or anything like that protecting them. Like, why were they covered? And if you can't give us a good reason that, you know, it's showing us that we agree to it, we're not going to pay for it. And that's been happening too
1: and that is i mean such a great point we've been auditing with every client what we find is that they're making these internal policies without you know it's just not on their radar to even have the conversation with their brokers or consultants to ensure they're thinking through all these steps and it's quite interesting because it can be a domino effect of pretty significant risk right if it's not well vetted so great points well
3: and as you guys know, for the longest time, whenever someone would look at making a major change like that, uh, you know, the CFO would talk to head of HR. HR would talk to some of their people. They would contact us. We'd have like three meetings on it, right? We right. would spend so much <laughs> now time Now they're moving all all lightning
1: this. speed and they're like, what so we have to do to hire? Yes. Yeah.
3: Yes. Oh, hey, we have, we're worried about losing this. All right. Uh, as of tomorrow, if you're working 15 hours, we're going to keep the benefits.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, <you> know, <laughs> like, wait, isn't... wait, what? what did you just <laughs> <Yeah. want? laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, well, we can you know try to backtrack and make sure that's fine with everyone that needs to be fine, and start updating yeah. documents. But to your point, Vanessa, sometimes we find out about it uh, a couple months right. later.
1: Let's face it, our goal is your goal. We just have yeah. to find a way to make sure you can make that goal a reality without risk. Right? Yes. There's pretty big risk we're seeing presented in this space. So, make sure for our listeners out there that this is on your radar as you're thinking about your future workforce, what that looks like. We're doing cool creative things with part-time benefits that really help employers stand out in new ways. There's ways yeah. to craft solutions to meet these needs, and it it's fun. And there's there's a lot of opportunity there, but it is changing, right? And how are you going to compete if it's not on your radar is is a challenge.
3: Exactly, and, you know, contact your Hayes, Brown & Brown, SBA, whoever it is, contact your representative. They know how to get in touch with us. You know, hey, call up Vanessa, call up Adam, call up Jared. Seriously, though, <laughs> uh, and just talk about it because – to Vanessa's point. That, that That's actually something that we enjoy doing. If we're talking about expanding benefits especially, that, that's an enjoyable conversation. It's a fun one to kind of come up with a way to accomplish it, mitigate that risk. You can never fully eliminate it, but talk about ways that you can right. do it where uh, it can be done in a, a smart way. That That's a good conversation. Now, for some of you, it's also going to be cutting back on benefits. In which case, okay, that's a different conversation. Maybe not as fun, but it's still extremely important for you to talk to your uh, your consultant, make sure that we're doing it in a way that's well thought out and you're not putting yourself at risk for a participant lawsuit or something like that.
2: Hey, listen, Nick Nick had plenty of shameless plugs. We got to get when You got to listen to our last episode where we talked about all the different creative benefits that are coming out and ways that people can offer new and innovative benefits. And if your population is looking to go more part-time than it has historically there are plenty of solutions out there, and Absolutely. plenty of ways that you can accomplish that. So,
0: I heard Nick also say that he likes hearing from us. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that's on recording every every time Giddy
3: we up, email Nick. you. That's yeah, kind yeah. of how we
0: stay employed over in Quebec. That's
3: exactly. <laughs> it. If we
0: don't hear from you guys, we have some
3: serious issues. <laughs> like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's
1: been no lack of dialogue oh. these days. Again, we used to always say no job change more right in the last ten years than HR risk managers. It's been on steroids right in the last 12, insane. 18 months. So, you know, don't see that slowing down. And sadly, I think as these things play out in the courts, it's going to make new dynamics right mm-hmm. and changes even more interesting. Now, to that regard, and the the whole fluctuating hours. Obviously, you know, we've got people reducing the number of hours. We have totally new leave policies. It is the wild west out there of what employers are throwing down as really attractive, right? PTO, paid time off, um, incentives, you know, you name it, how that fits within the framework of federal and state paid leave and disability laws, it's creating very dynamic combo. Thoughts there. Do you see this going towards something, you know, more nationalized solution? There's a lot of conversation there. What are you seeing hearing there?
3: Well, we, we have another 30 minutes uh, remaining, right? That's how it works here? Ha yes, funny, exactly. <laughs> funny guy.
1: Funny <laughs> no, guy. I know. And we honestly, Jared, back to your plug, but we had a great dialogue about this very topic and, and an entire, you know, episode right. prepared for that. So definitely check that out as well. But love to hear your thoughts, Nick.
3: I mean, there, there's two thoughts on that. One first is almost designing to the lowest con, uh, common denominator. And what I mean by that is for a lot of employers out there, as you're looking at your strategy, it's, okay, how can I design this in a way that's going to comply with the most state leave laws that are out there? Because oftentimes if you have certain designs within your you know time off kind of construct, you, you can comply with a lot of those without having to uh, tweak it too much. So that's one piece to it. Uh, I I hope actually that we do see some sort of federal legislation around this. Not so much, uh, you know, I'll I'll leave my personal uh, thoughts on, you know, that type of thing out of it. Just from uh, thinking of our HR friends out there, right? Uh, If we had some sort of federal thing similar to ERISA where it preempted all of the state laws and it was basically if you comply with this federal law, you don't have to worry about if you have 30 different, you know, or locations in different states. You comply with this federal one. You comply with all of them. You're good. Uh, Because, you know, Vanessa, to your point, the HR job has changed so much. I mean, I've been at Hayes for like nine years now or something like that. (laughs) And in those nine years, we've seen just a humongous change in our uh, HR friends' uh, jobs. And the stress levels are (laughs) diminishing, right? With each change, usually the stress levels going up. And so now all these different state leave laws, it's just piling on, in, in my opinion.
1: Well, especially because they're hiring from everywhere now, right? If mm-hmm. you've got a virtual position, you're no longer yes. in one market or five markets. You're It's it's unlimited. And how do you right approach that as an organization? There's a lot of risk there.
3: For those of you that are on the East Coast, I feel for you. I really feel for you because you're dealing with, yeah, I have an employee that, uh, you know, we're based out of New York. Our employee lives in Rhode Island, uh, but they're now living down in North Carolina like how does that all play together right (laughs) uh and that's that's a a very real conversation one that we've had frequently uh recently which again brings me back to hopefully we see something at the federal level that simplifies this just because 50 different state leave laws which is where we're slowly but surely heading uh is a crazy thought right we don't have that we, we have that for insured plans but that's on the insurance carrier we have a risk of preemption for Right. self insured by yeah. you know our larger employers you would hope that we went in the same direction for the leave and you know disability time off type laws well, even I think though though a we even have HR outside, friends
1: out there happy with what you just said <laughs> <laughs> they'd be happy to rally around that
0: Like on california out here right you've got down to municipalities that run differently than the state than you could be 10 miles from each other and have two very different sectors. Government contracts,
1: municipalities. It's, it's crazy. The Republic of California, (laughs) right? The Republic of California. I mean, it's everywhere and it's growing rapidly, right? Uh, As far as the complexities there and, it's it's not slowing down anytime soon. But again, didn't you say, Nick? That's your job security. So happy to keep you keep you rolling here.
3: Yeah, that's one of those ones where I'd be happy to lose that little piece of my security. Uh, you know, if they take away Arissa, I might have to. You know, I'd cry a little bit. I'd have a little ceremony for it, light a candle, that kind of thing. Um, I'll name a boat Arissa, I think. But when it comes to state leave laws, that kind of thing, if that went away, I probably. Uh, have a celebration with the rest of the folks out there. that would be happy to see that uh, change.
1: Appreciate your time today. Certainly we could celebrate lots of conversations yeah. as we look to the future. Uh, we certainly love, and, and that 30 minutes flew by fast, certainly love every minute we have together and with all of you, our friendly listeners out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the Benefits Breakdown.